Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. It is a pleasure to be here in person. Sadly, we're missing a few people tonight. Fraser was, a, uh, was originally going to be emceeing, so, so the start of my message begins as if I, you haven't seen me already. Um, and then Vic and Brandon aren't there. They're, they're, they're baby boy Elliot's getting married, which is very exciting. So they're at a wedding, so that's really awesome, celebrating commitment and love and all that kind of um, stuff. Uh, but all that stuff. <laughs> There's... Okay. Kia ora, everyone. It's great to be here back in person. Like, that was my original opening line. Then I was going to say, if you're new here or simply wanted to know a few fun facts about me, my name is Tim. I'm, I'm an associate pastor here. Um, I have a deep passion for understanding meaning and purpose, how people think. I love a good central Otago Pinot Noir. I love walking the beach with my wife and dog. Gin is the dog, not with gin. Cooking, I love cooking over charcoal. I love, I love, I love charcoal cooking. Um, and even more so actual wood, burning actual wood down, like not pine because it's really toxic, but like it's some nice manuka or pahutakawas, delicious to cook over. I have a fairly irreverent sense of humor and I enjoy grappling with life's greatest mysteries. Um, with that said, I have the pleasure of introducing our new series this, this week. It seems kind of silly introducing any series because like... It's been so up and down. Does anyone remember our Packing Our Bags series? Not really, because we're in lockdowns and it's like, it all, they're all so disjointed. But nonetheless, we're beginning our walk towards Easter uh, as it approaches a month away. And I've titled it The Pilgrimage of an Improbable God, which I think I like in a few ways. Firstly, because pilgrimage, like, uh, that's the wider theme for this year as a church. We're talking about pilgrimage, this idea that we're all on a sacred journey, right? And even um, God become man and Jesus goes on his own sacred journey as he approaches um, Jerusalem and uh, within the Easter story. And I say improbable God because like the, the funny thing about Jesus is he was continually overlooked, misunderstood, um, and was missed. They didn't know what, what he was doing. And I think the, the same was true then as it is today. We constantly misunderstand what Jesus was doing or miss it or um, within that. So Jesus, he turns the tables that's a good reference. He turns the tables literally in the story as well, but I'm not talking about that. He turns the tables on our expectations and understanding of God, but he also turns the tables and our expectations of, like, our shared life together. And um, uh, we begin this in, in the start of Holy Week or Passion Week, um, which is the, I guess it's the, it's the first, it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the beginning. Um, but within this, I thought I'd mention just something a bit th like a theological framework first, um, which I find helpful for myself. Like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my faith's really simple. Sometimes it's really complex, and then sometimes it's really simple again. Personally, I'm in kind of, more of a complex, like, time of my life, right, as we go. But, like, when it's simple, I usually have a simple paradigm that helps me understand or frame um, faith and that kind of stuff. And, and that's this. In Jesus, as Christians, um, Colossians 1.15, Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that, that within all of Scripture, within all of life, that, that when we wonder what God is like, that Jesus is the clearest picture that we will ever get. That when John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, uh, the, in the Greek, the word is logos, which is blueprint, or more clearly, I say, or I speak. So God's clearest spoken word is Jesus, 
of which the Scriptures point towards, but the Scriptures aren't in and of themselves. So when we wonder what does God look like, there's, there's a lot of ambiguity and mystery around it, right? Because God is such a complex, mysterious word. But as Christians, at the center of our theology is this idea that Jesus reveals what God is like. You know, so whenever we wonder, it's like, well, what would Jesus say or think or feel about this, right? Which is quite interesting because um, in some of the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, God seems to say things that we couldn't imagine Jesus ever saying, right? So what does that mean for how we engage with that? Like, what, what is Jesus in this context? Um, which is another sermon because it's really like it's it's a really complex kind of like idea within that. Where is Jesus is Jesus revealing what God is like, or is it Jesus apologizing for his angry dad, or what's going on this whole time? This is the these are the big questions of Christology. Within this, Jesus reveals the image of God. He's our clearest picture of what God's like. But simultaneously, humanity we are said to be made in the image of God, which I find really interesting. That's uh, in Genesis one. 26 to 27, God makes us in his image to reveal his image. So you've got two things happening. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and we're made in the image of God. So you have Jesus simultaneously revealing what God's like, but also revealing what we're like and called to be like and have been called to be like the whole time. Jesus is the image bearer that we were always called to be. Um, So within that, right, as we look at the Easter series, Jesus reveals the heartbeat of this improbable God, and Jesus also calls us to follow in in the ways that he walks in. So with that said, this is Holy Week. It's also called Passion Week. And I was thinking on this a little bit this week as well. Passion, right? Yeah, you get asked, what are you passionate about? What do you care about? What makes you feel alive? The interesting thing in, in this context is it's, called, it's the passion of Jesus, right? But passion in the original language does not mean what makes you feel alive. What are you excited about? Passion means to endure and to suffer, so when you're asked, what are you passionate about? It's not necessarily what makes you feel alive. When you're asked, what are you passionate about? It's what, what are you willing to suffer for? What cause, what um, purpose are you actually willing to wear the weight to bear your cross, so to speak, on? And as we look at this Easter journey over the next month, we have to ask, what cause was Jesus so, what did he believe in so much that he was willing to suffer for? And then also, what does that mean for us in terms of how we're living our lives? So, gives a very different understanding of passionate. So this is a, a, it's obviously an artist's depiction of Palm Sunday. I don't think it's exactly what it looked like. Um, it's more abstract than anything else. But we begin this story of Easter as Jesus approaches Jerusalem. This is a week out from uh, around Passover and when he's handed over to the authorities and crucified. Before this, Jesus has been touring around Galilee and Judea and all these, all these areas, and he has been um, constantly defying expectations and constantly revealing his understanding of the improbable God and what the world should be like. He, um, he seems to be countercultural wherever he goes. He seems to eat with the wrong people. He seems to do the, the wrong things or do the right things at the wrong times. He seems to, um, he seems to annoy the, the elites wherever he goes. And whenever people seem to put him in a box, he escapes and wriggles out of it the whole time. And this radical message that will eventually get him killed is one of caring for the poor and living in forgiveness and grace and generosity, right? It's, it doesn't seem like something worth, like, it doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem like something worthy to get killed for, but it seems like something that is worthy to die for in a sense. And it's, it's this very strange thing that he's this Jewish rabbi, this wandering Jewish nomadic rabbi somehow, like, 
causes so much fuss where he goes. But the interesting thing in that time in the bigger perspective is somehow this Jewish rabbi and what he does and what he stands for has flipped the script on human history as well. And we've got to ask what happened there, right? Like how on earth has the instrument of torture that he's crucified on the cross, how has that become this universal symbol of love? Like that baffles me. How does that happen? It's not like you see um, any French monarchy apologists arguing or wearing like guillotines around their neck, right? Like it's not like we see many other people carrying other instruments of torture around, but somehow this Jesus, this Jewish rabbi transforms this entire image of suffering into one of love. And, and it's And it's interesting. And and we look back and say, how did they miss it? How did they not see there are the miracles or this kind of stuff? But I think in many ways we miss the truth that he was living in even to today. Because there's something strange about this. There's something underwhelming about the way of Jesus. There's something, um, if, he, if Jesus realized the image of God, we have to contend with this very strange thing that at the heartbeat of Christianity, the clearest image of God we have is as a naked man dying on a cross, choosing to not take revenge. That's our core image, right? That's the core image of God that we have through Jesus. We see um, Jesus bearing God's image, revealing what God's like, and in the meantime, being crucified by us and choosing to not take revenge in that, right? An all-powerful God, uh, powerfully unwilling to continue the cycles of violence that we're so used to in terms of revenge or scapegoating. And it's interesting because if Jesus is revealing the heartbeat of God within this, he's also calling us to live in a certain way. And I must admit, I'm following the way of Jesus. It's, it's, that's the heartbeat of what it means to be a Christian. But the older I get, the harder I find it is to actually follow Jesus. You know, like I don't know if that's you guys as well. Or like I don't know if it's, I just find it difficult to follow the way of Jesus. I like to say, I like to say that, yeah, I'm a Christian or I try and follow the way of Jesus. But in reality, it's like, I forget so often. Like, in, in reality, I'm far more of a Western capitalist worried about wealth accumulation than I am in following the teachings and, and the way of life of a, of a Jewish rabbi, right? Like, I find the older I get, the harder it is to follow the way of Jesus. And I don't know if that's because, like, I've become a worse person or the people around me have become worse people or I've just become more self-aware. And I was always found it difficult, but I just didn't realize at the time. Like, it's, it's tough. Like, it's tough. This calling is really difficult to follow Jesus. And I think in many ways, it's a whole lot easier to run churches than it is to follow the way of Jesus. So we um, function in a way that avoids the tough teachings of Jesus. And as we look to the Easter series, we're going to be looking at these tougher teachings. And I, 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 this story today, I think, is fairly plain in of itself, but it's powerful as well. So I hope that I don't ruin it with too many words, but I will interlace it with some jokes just to lift the mood at times. There's a few good ones in there, I promise. No. Um, so Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and he's approaching, uh, there's all these crowds gathering. He's on a hill in the Mount of Olives, and he's overlooking Jerusalem. He's approaching there, and there's these crowds gathering, and they're putting palm fronds and their cloaks down as a triumphant entry. The interesting thing is, um, both these aren't actual maps, not to scale. It's more of a mosaic artistic thing as well. But when a coming king or leader would walk into a city, they would come with this huge military procession. They would come with uh, riding a war horse. They would come with their armies. And it's a sign of might. It's a sign of victory. It's a sign of fear and intimidation, right? At the time, of this, uh, the, the Jews were oppressed by the Romans at the time. The Roman Empire had spread all across the Mediterranean. And there was this thing called Pax Romana, Roman peace, which is peace not because everyone gets along. It's peace because nobody stands up and puts their head out the window because they'll get trampled by Roman powers, which had 
destroyed any uprisings in the area. And this Roman peace was upheld by Herod and, and Caesar and all these elites. And whenever they'd march into Jerusalem, they would march in on a war horse. They'd march in in this military procession. And it's interesting. I think they would come from the east and Jesus comes from the west. But the Jews, a people enslaved under the thumb of the empire, they must have been to many of these military processions, and they must, in the hope of this Jesus, this, this messianic figure, wondered what this kind of king would be like. You know, they must have, um, they must have, he was the one that was going to rescue them. He was the one that's going to save them. He was the one that was going to overthrow the Romans and deliver them. And, and they say they, they had this hope. They had this hope that we've been oppressed, and we hope this Jesus figure delivers us from this kind of, like, tyranny and this oppression. In the writer of Matthew, he says, he says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he knows in his mind that the, that the, ruling, the ruling authorities approach these cities and triumph on a war horse. And he calls his disciples aside and he says, Go nearby and there will be a donkey. Grab them. And, I, and he rides in on that. That's his triumphant march. I don't think the war horse store had sold out at that point. There seemed to be something very specific in what Jesus was doing and choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. This, this donkey, it was a symbol of something different, right? But it was also a reference. And um, in Zechariah, this is in the Old Testament, it's, it's a prophetic reference where this king comes riding on a donkey. It's a reference, and Jesus knows this. As well, but he also symbolizes it as something far greater. Coming kings don't come on donkeys. Donkeys aren't necessarily the most noble steeds in terms of throwing a violent uprising. Jesus is doing something very different. And I wonder what the crowd thought, right? Because um, I'm not sure if they were all skilled in Jewish prophetic literature. I don't know if they all would have picked up this reference straight away, but if they'd been there, I wonder if they've been hoping for this king to walk in on something far more noble, something far more strong, something far more powerful. I wonder what they would have thought. I wonder if they've been like, what's going on here? But whatever they thought, their, their kind of hesitancy was, um, we'll get back to that. Their hesitancy was replaced by them singing out Psalm 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you did want to know, that was a picture of a donkey. It's from Shrek, though. It's, it's an animated movie. It's really funny. That's a potentially more realistic one, but it's still fairly abstract. Um, so the Jewish people, they see this king riding in on a donkey. Uh, they're a bit quizzical of what's going on, but they sing, nonetheless, this is the one. This is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then a strange thing happens in the text. Jesus, as he sees this happen, he weeps. He breaks down. He cries. And some commentators say that when Jesus approaches this, this triumphant procession, some say he weeps because he knows the suffering he'll endure in a week's time on the cross. Others say, uh, other commentators have said that Jesus weeps because he's just, it's tears of joy because like finally these people understand who I am and they recognize that they're giving glory to God but I'm not sure I'm convinced with either of those two kind of explanations. My suspicion is 
Jesus sees the, the faces of the crowd, and he sees the hopes that they're putting in him. He sees the expectations they have. He sees them hoping that he'll deliver them from the evil Romans who are uh, oppressing them. Uh, and I, I at times feel that weight of expectation as well, as we all do from time to time, you know, knowing that when somebody builds you up to be something, you may disappoint them. It's a scary thought. Just the other day, I was reading, um, I was reading actually Obama's autobiography, which is a really interesting read. I don't really know your position on Obama and don't particularly care. He's an interesting, fa- he's an interesting person, but in his autobiography, he was sharing about how when he was being elected to his, the Democratic nomination, and then he would later become president, he realized the moment where the crowd had stopped seeing him, but they had started seeing a symbol, him as a symbol, and the weight that he felt in terms of knowing, they don't know me, they, they, they have all these ideas about me, and I will only disappoint them. You know, that's a certain weight, right? That's a certain expectation. And I wonder if Jesus felt that, like, and not just that, he feels the weight, that he'll, he'll disappoint this crowd who are hoping for him to overthrow this Roman Empire, but he also feels the likelihood that they might turn on him for the path that he takes and said. So I think Jesus knows that um, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I think Jesus knows, as Shakespeare says, that violent desires have violent ends, right? Like he sees this crowd baying for blood, baying for an overthrow. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, is now hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's in Luke 19, 41. Jesus weeps and he says this in response to their procession. You, you do not recognize the time of God's coming to you. These Jews expected a king to come in, but it's a king they missed. It's a king they misunderstood. It's interesting, in Zechariah 9, which I talked about before, the king comes righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. What the, what the writer of Matthew doesn't include is actually the next verse, which I find really interesting. Because the next verse talks about, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, this coming king of Jesus, he doesn't offer Pax Romana. He doesn't offer peace by conquest, peace by intimidation, peace by fear, peace by control. This coming king offers Pax Christi, the peace of Christ, which doesn't look to external uh, measures of forcing people to do things or dominating. This coming king offers an internal liberation from revenge and cycles of violence. He offers a humble everyday reality of walking in on a cult rather than on a war horse. And they missed him and they misunderstood him. They wanted victory through, they wanted victory through violence and that hope for them would actually lead them, as Jesus says, to this time. See, Jesus was prophetic in this moment because the Jewish people's quest for violence and that would lead to a variety of uprisings which would culminate in 70 AD with the sacking of Jerusalem. So the Roman army came in and this literally did happen. They, they, they turned Jerusalem into a literal Gehenna as, as their uprisings were met with what happens. More war, more bloodshed, more violence. 
I think this is why Jesus wept. Jesus saw the hopes they had in him and knew that he wouldn't fulfill them and knew where it would get them. And they missed it then. And I think we still miss it now because we do the same things. Maybe not to the same extent, but we still live and have succumbed to these cycles of violence and revenge. It's, um, I'd say it's ironic, but I think I'd be misusing the phrase ironic. I'd say it's funny, but it's not really funny. I think it's interesting that somehow one of the world's greatest Christian nations at the moment has the largest army, the largest military GDP, and the most military bases in human history across the world. Right? That's got to be strange, right? Like as a Christian nation to, I won't name names, but um, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting because it seems to me like, how does that, how does that figure? Who knows? This is the story of Palm Sunday. This is, these are the texts within it, right? What does this king represent? What is a hope in as he walks in on a donkey, not on a war horse? This is a story of an improbable God who I kind of, who I guess usurps our expectations or our hopes and gives us something far more underwhelming at times. And if God paves this way in his story towards Easter, if he demonstrates this different form of kingship, this different form of revolution, you know, a revolution of the heart, a revolution of forgiveness. He calls us to follow him in that as well. They missed him there, and we still miss him. We miss Jesus any time we thirst for revenge rather than reconciliation. We miss understand Jesus any time we thirst for violence and action and thought, and any time we refuse to turn the other cheek. And I'm like... The interesting thing is I don't necessarily, like, the, when I was saying I struggle to follow Jesus, this is why. Because I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be as nonviolent as Jesus was, right? I don't know if in the, I don't know about macro politics or all that kind of stuff or, like, what we're not, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, it's like, what do you do about evil people or forces? You know, like, I'd like to think that I could follow it, but I think this is the challenge. This is the challenge to understand in the right circumstances would I be able to turn the other cheek? You know, I, I'm not sure. But it has me thinking, if Jesus was here today, where would he be? And I'm not sure he'd be in a North Shore church. Um, he'd be watching the racing. No, I don't think he'd be watching the racing either. I, even just thinking this week, it's like, I think Jesus would be a lot more like this guy. Coincidentally, he does look like the kind of like anglicized pictures of Jesus we have. The text says, what happens when a Quaker and a Methodist reverend break into a secure weapons factory to cause billions of pounds worth of criminal damage? Um, which is a true story. It's a, it came up on my YouTube feed. It's a Vice documentary. It's these two guys. They met at a party. One's a minister. And they, they found out that nearby to them in England, actually, which is a really interesting place with interesting people. Um, <laughs> it turns out I was wrong. Um, they found out there was a nearby Air Force base and the... The, I think one of the local company corporations had been sourcing a lot of like warplanes essentially for the Saudi government, um, which had been involved in a lot of the uprisings at the time um, in that area. And they, due to their following of Jesus and pursuing nonviolence, s- decided that actually they would at night snip through the security gates and then walk through two, two rows and just take hammers and, uh, and like tire irons to some of the military planes in the hangar. 
It's all. It's a really interesting. It's re- like, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but it's really fascinating. But it's like, I maybe that's what Jesus would be doing. I don't know. Like, may, like, like, I'd like to hope that he'd come along and sing a few songs with us. But he's probably, if we didn't sell our Skyhawks in the early two thousands, like maybe he'd be busting into Fenuapai Airbase or something like that. Who knows? Or, I think. Well, this, just this week, you know, I don't know if you saw this story, but none, stand, none stands in front of Myanmar riot officers to stop attack on protesters. You know, it's a bit closer to home. That's happening right now. As we think about Palm Sunday and Jesus walking into Jerusalem, we're reminded of where our hopes are. and We're reminded of the way which our hopes function, the way in this world's hopes function for peace. We all desire peace, but it's in what manner, it's in what way. And it's not an easy thing to think about, but... Hmm. I'd love to lead us in a reflective exercise as we close tonight. And I invite you to close your eyes. Imagine it's a beautiful spring day. The sun is shining, the air is warm, and a sense of new life surrounds you. You're walking along a narrow path in a large city that you've visited many times. You love this place. The small narrow streets crowded with people, the marketplace with its smells and noises. As you walk, you see a crowd forming along the street in front of you. It looks like they're lining the street for some reason. You wonder what's going on, so you walk towards the street. When you get closer, you can hear people chanting, but you can't make out the words. They seem to be waving something up and down. When you get to the street, there are many, many people smiling and waving large palm branches. Some have put their cloaks on the ground. There must be some royalty or wealthy person coming, you think. You look down the street, and a few feet away is a man sitting on a donkey. He is waving to the crowd, but his face is so serious, almost sad. You get to the front of the crowd so you can see him more closely. He's in front of you and stops. He looks at you. And you recognize him. It's Jesus. He's the one everyone's been talking about. And he speaks to you. What does Jesus say? What do you say to Jesus? Jesus lingers there for a few minutes. He seems like he wants to get off the donkey, to stay with you, to enter the main part of the city. But he doesn't move. He sits there looking at you. The crowd's voices get louder and louder. They're yelling out, praising him, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But Jesus does not seem happy. He reaches down for your hand. You reach up and hold Jesus' hand. What do you say to Jesus? And what does Jesus say to you?
Jesus, we've come here this Sunday night. As we reflect on Palm Sunday, we're reminded of your passion. We're reminded of the cause you so believed in that you were willing to suffer for, willing to die for. In this moment, may you help us consider what our passion is. And what our passion is, is we truly look to follow you. You give us the conviction we've been living our lives as if we're on a war horse, looking to dominate, looking to impress. You give us the courage to step off that and to be content to walk through our life as if on a donkey humbly plodding along one foot in front of the other and I pray in in our hearts that you help us have a hope in you it's not a hope of quick fixes it's not a hope of cheap peace but it's a hope of transformed lives as we learn to forgive and to love one another whether it be our neighbor, our friends, or even our enemies. Give us the courage to follow you, not just in song, but in life. We give thanks we can gather. May you keep moving in us each day at a time. Beautiful, mighty name. Amen. It's been an interesting week. It's not really the strongest personal metaphor. It's a clunky metaphor, like I've found. I've been trying to think through this this week in terms of riding through my life on a war horse or a donkey, right? It's not a clunky metaphor. It is a clunky metaphor, but it's quite been quite interesting, like just asking myself each day, it's like, what am I riding on? Like, what, like what game am I playing, right? And I, th- I think that's the invitation, right, is to keep asking. It's like, where is our hope? And, and how are we moving in and through this life? Are we willing to embrace the inconvenient humility that is the slow plodding along of a difficult-to-ride animal called a donkey? Or are we looking for the easy, not easy way, but I guess the trappings of success and power and intimidation, you know? That's Palm Sunday. It's a really somber but interesting season, I think. Um, and I'd love to encourage you to read along in the text and the scriptures as well. All gospels have it's the one of the core it's the core story of, of Jesus' message. So I'd love to encourage you to read along as we go throughout this series. And then next week we've got um Vic and Calf sharing on Jesus in the upper room, which would be really awesome. But apart from that, baptisms, 7 p.m. at 14a something, 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 and I will get you the exact address. And with that, I hope you have a lovely week. It's an absolute pleasure to be back for this week and looking forward to next week in the camps, God willing. Awesome. Have a good evening.
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.